Welcome to Waterbrook Church, located in Victoria, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us today as we worship and fellowship together. To find out more about Waterbrook, go to www.waterbrook.church. I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Genesis, chapter 1. And we are going to begin today a series in the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis. And uh, beginning of a year and the beginning of the Bible... And the beginning of the mission of God, in one sense, I would have to add that the beginning of the mission of God was before the creation of the world, that God before the world, the Bible tells us, before the foundation of the world, determined that he would glorify his name and save a people for himself and bring the nations to himself and work towards a climactic end whereby all the peoples of the earth Every tribe and every tongue and every nation would gather around the throne of the Lamb and sing, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. And so when we come to Genesis chapter 1, God is moving explosively into action. Isn't that true when you read Genesis chapter 1? If you want to think about the Big Bang theory, here's the Big Bang reality. God created the heavens and the earth. And God came and he, in a glorious way, thrust into reality all that exists. And so the beginning of the Bible and the beginning of the mission of God is one of absolute authority and power and glory. And you got to begin. I'm going to read this to you, but I want you to immediately come to the Word of God and ask yourself this question. Why would God reveal himself in this way? Why is the Bible put together with this kind of structure because God does not want you to begin the story of God and I'm going to tell you that right after off the bat this is not the story of man this is a story of God in which we get to participate and share and so as we come to the word of God and we see the glory of God and God begins with this you and I need to think in our minds why oh God Do you want us to begin with your revelation with this? What is it about you you want us to know? What is it about your ways that you want us to see? Because everything else from here on in flows out of this first chapter, this dominant reality about God. This is your God. Everything falls under it. Every calling, every circumstance, every challenge, every anxiety, every fear, every self-doubt, every guilt, everything must be brought under the reality of this God. And he comes out with a punch. He comes out with authority. He comes out with goodness and power. So I'm going to read this to you. I want you to pray, God, let me believe you are this God. Help me see that you are this God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Is that not glorious? Just pause. The Spirit of God poised. God has created the heavens and the earth. It's dark, it's void, and the Spirit of God is leaning in. God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good. 
And God saw, and God separated the light from the darkness, and God caused the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. You realize there's light, but there's no sun, and there's no moon. There is God giving light. God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it, be, let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and he separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place place and let the dry land appear and it was so and God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called the seas and God saw that it was what it was good and God said let the earth sprout vegetation plants yielding seed fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed each according to its kind on the earth and it was so he said it and it was so He said it, and it was so. Get it? You tracking with me? This is about your life. God said it, and it was so. And the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. There was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. Let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night, and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures. Let the birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds. And each winged bird according according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Is this glorious? And God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the waters in the seas. Let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creeping things, beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. Gotcha. Read along with me. It was so good. (laughs) No, it just said it was so. It will say it's good. But it was so good. God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Wow. 
and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God made man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that's on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit, and you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I've given every green plant for food, And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. Very good. And there was the evening, and there was the morning, the sixth day. Now, I need to tell you, You're being set up by God. Do you understand what's going on here? You're getting a little window, little, I mean, you probably have a hundred questions that just came out of that reading. You have a hundred things that are spinning around in your mind about creation and the beginning of time and what God was doing. But God is setting you up with this revelation because if you take the panoply of all of scripture all that god is about to reveal what we are meant to see in this text of scripture is that god is up to something that god is on the move that god has exploded into our reality creating our reality because god is about to show and fill the earth with all his glory And the rumbling force of Genesis chapter 1 is the mission of God moving forward where he will fill the earth with all his glory and he makes all things gloriously new. And in this rumbling revelation of who God is, God is doing something. He's saying to every single one of us, I am about to do something. I have a plan. I am in motion. Join me. Got that? God is setting you up because this is not for you to go home like we did on New Year's Eve late down in Honduras in Tegucigalpa after we went to the light show that wasn't because we were locked out. And we went downtown and we went back to the house and we put on and saw planet Earth. You ever watch planet Earth? You kick up your feet and you go, wow, and wow, and wow. Then you turn it off and you go to bed. Genesis 1 is not go wow, wow, wow and turn it off. Yet you are being set up. Genesis 1 is the beginning of God saying, I have a mission and a purpose, and I'm calling you to believe and trust me. In the first 11 chapters that we are about to study, God will speak over and over and over again till we get to chapter 12 where he speaks personally and covenantally to the patriarch Abraham. Some of the theologians call the first chapter 11's the prolegomena, there's your theological word of the day, the prolegomena of the promise. You are getting set up 
for the purpose of God to bless Abraham and through Abraham to bless who? The nations. God has a global plan that he's going to work out and he's making the promise and Abraham and the seed of Abraham ultimately will go to the ends of the earth that all people will know that God is good, that God is real, that God lives and that God reigns. Last Sunday morning, Marianne and I sat just like this in the front row of a church in Tegucigalpa with our headphones on as everyone sang in Spanish. And the sermon was preached in Spanish. And I wept as a dad watching my kids sing in Spanish as the people worshipped from another tongue in another place the name of Jesus. And it was the rumbling that began in Genesis chapter 1. God would reign from sea to see. And so when we begin in Genesis chapter 1, every page of your Bible is beckoning you. Every page of Scripture is beginning calling us to enter in not an ancient story, but an ongoing building forward of the mission of the God of the universe. Isn't that great news? And the question that is posed to us in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 and Genesis 3, and I could go all the way through, the question that is posed to us is, will you bow? And will you worship? And will you trust? Will you follow? And will you join as He blesses and makes us fruitful in His name to the ends of the earth? So I'm setting you up because He's setting you up. My purpose over the next 11 weeks of Genesis is not to simply answer how many angels can stand on the head of a pin. My goal every Sunday is simply this. Will you join God in His mission to the ends of the earth? We have a God in Genesis 1 who moves into the nothingness. We have a God who steps into the lifelessness, to the emptiness, to the darkness, and He fills it with His glory. I just want you to think about that at this moment, because the call of God for some of you over Christmas has been into places where it has felt dark, right? He has called us into places where it seems like there's no life. The wilderness, the desert, the desolate places of human relationships and experiences. We walked to our car last Sunday morning between the two services, ran out, got a coffee because we're all coffee addicts, and Honduras is a great way to, place to get coffee if you want coffee. So we ran out, and we walk into the parking lot, and there's a young 20-year-old guy with a really big gun. Because everywhere you go, they got guns. And you're walking by, there's this guy. Of course, when you're not from there, you're seeing every guy with a gun. He's sitting there with a big gun across his lap, protecting our cars. You go to the grocery store, you go to the gas station, you go everywhere, and there's guns everywhere. And you're walking through all of this, and yet at the same time, we have this knowledge coming out of worship that God is bigger than the guns and the gods of the nations comes out of Genesis chapter 1. He only is God. 
So one of the things that, I'll give you a couple of quotes here. Doug, you'll have no idea where I'm going. I'm just going to help you. I, he has so many slides back there. I told him, I'm going to make you work today. But jump down to the Christopher Wright quote. It's the, about three down or four down. Christopher Wright in his book, The Mission of God, makes this statement here. It's not so much the case that God has a mission for his church in the world as God has a church for his mission in the world. Mission was not made for the church. The church was made for the mission of God. God's mission. So just think about that for a moment. God is on the move. God is rolling out His purpose. Now, I, I think you could flip that both ways because God has a plan to build His church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But God's purpose in building the church is not so that we would become a little cocoon in which we hold the treasures of God unto ourselves. God has rescued us in order that His glory might be multiplied and made known to the ends of the earth. So let me give you another quote. So this isn't just the rantings of me. But here's Francis Chan in his book on the Holy Spirit, Forgotten God. I spent years asking God to be part of whatever I was doing. But when I read the book of Acts, I see people privileged to play a part in what God is doing. So the starting point for all of this is God. The mission is God's mission. The call is, will you join him in his mission? Or will you serve your own? That's the starting point for Genesis. And so here's the thing that's comforting to me. I'm doing a lot of reading. I'm doing coursework. I have to go and do some coursework in a couple of weeks. And I'm reading some secular books. There's a book from Harvard that I'm reading um, called Leadership in the Line by Marty Linsky and, and Ronald Hefeis. And they tell the story. It resonates with me because I'm from northern Canada a lot of my life. And there's a lot of my friends are... Um, native Canadians. They live in communities up in the north. And he tells the story of Maggie Brooks, who is working in a, in a Native American community that is, had, was um, overrun with alcoholism. In her community, almost everybody who was 12 years of old and older were drinking. And so in her 20s, she was rescued from alcoholism herself. And uh, by her 40s, Maggie was um, ministering to her community and helping people get out of the darkness of alcoholism. And when she was interviewed, you know, how did you get into the situation where you were helping these people with their alcoholism? Um, this, again, this is from a secular book, but she tells this wonderful story. She tells the story of, of this lady, Lois. And she said when she was around 20, 1920, uh, Lois was in the next town that was ravaged with alcoholism. And Lois hired her to babysit her kids on Tuesday night. So Maggie would go over on Tuesday night and babysit Lois's kids. And so every Tuesday night, she's babysitting the kids, and Maggie would, uh, or Lois would head out into the night. Of course, um, where I come from, the night is early up in the north, <laughs> you know. But she would head out into the night and come back. And after doing this for a couple of months, Maggie said, What is she doing? Where is she? she didn't even know where she was going. So she bundled up the kids after Lois went and followed her, and they went down to the meeting lodge in the middle of the community, and they looked in the window. And in the window, here is Lois, and she's got a circle of chairs set up in the meeting hall at the center of town, and she's sitting by herself. 
She's sitting by herself. She's been doing this for two months. And so uh, Maggie takes the kids and heads back to the house, and she's thinking, what is she doing? Lois comes home later, and she can't restrain herself. She says to Lois, Lois, what are you (coughs) doing on Tuesday nights? And she says, well, I lead the town's Alcoholics Anonymous group. And she goes, we snuck out tonight and looked in the window. There was nobody there. She says, no, but there will be. (laughs) And three years later, Lois had a handful of people, and 10 years later, the meeting hall was packed with people. And, and, you know, that's a lady in her community believing against all odds that lives can be rescued and transformed and changed. She's in the middle of darkness. She's in the middle of nothingness. She's in the middle of chaos, and she's thinking something is going to happen. My dear friends, Genesis 1 is to tell you in the darkness and in the chaos and in the nothingness, something is about to happen. Isn't that great news? To go against everything in us that would doubt, everything in us that would despair, everything in us that would think that chaos and darkness would rule the day. Our God rules the darkness. And our God speaks into the nothingness. And he changes everything. And the question to you and the question to me, every page of the Bible is, will you trust me? Will you go with me? Because my mission cannot fail. In the call to Abraham, it's to leave everything he knows and to go out into the wilderness to a promised land he knows not where. In the Gospels, Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son. In the Roman Empire, under Nero, go. Do you believe that I can do this, that my purpose will not fail? Do you understand what Genesis 1 is about? Genesis 1 is how do I, how will I, Move beyond all the anxiety, all the fear, all the doubt, all the guilt, all the shame, everything in me. The answer isn't dig down, look deep. The answer is forget about yourself in one sense and look high on the horizon of God, his glory, his purpose, and his plan. You have a great God. So let's begin by walking our way through the text and asking uh, a few questions. So Doug, I have no idea where it is, but my first point is... The answer to what will move you consistently in mission, in God's mission, against all odds, against all darkness, against all chaos, what will move you is worship. Right? That's what's going to move us. So creation is a declaration of what? The worthiness of God to be trusted and to be served. So you make your way through Genesis chapter 1. You don't get to us till the end of the chapter. And the best thing about us is that we're made in His image. Genesis chapter 1 is about the glory of God. What He has done in creation. And here's what happens in, in our culture. Our culture likes to worship creation. I just like to be alone out with the trees and the birds. I like that. Right? 
I'd rather be in that shack right there catching crappies. Left to myself. But I know who keeps the crappies alive and who made them from before the foundation of the world and who made them for His glory and the teeming of the animals and the sky and the horizon. And every time it echoes, God is God said, God is good. God said, let there be, and it was so. It was good. What's going on? Genesis 1 to Revelation at the very end is this declaration. God can be trusted, and he's worthy to be followed. His mission is worthy so let me just say a couple things. i got a couple quotes here. Actually, I'm going to put them in juxtaposition to one, one another. A.W. Tozer says, what you believe of a God is the most important thing about you. So here he says, when it comes to our minds, when we think, what, we think about, what, what comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The history of mankind will probably show that no people have ever risen above its religion. And man's spirituality will positively demonstrate that no religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. Worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. What you think God is like? Let me ask you this. I mean, I remember seeing this in a Simpson episode. Okay, uh, so I'm a sinner and a preacher. <laughs> and things stick in my mind that probably shouldn't. Simpsons aren't around, they're not around anymore, right? I was, oh, okay, sorry, never mind. Don't watch it. I don't know what it's like now. <laughs> but I remember Homer Simpson saying something about God where, where he said, um, God is grumpy. He just had this line about God being this miserable God. And I, I, when I heard the line... Probably somebody sent it to me. I probably didn't go looking. Into, no, sorry. Um, when, he, when he said the line, I thought, that's the image of God that people function under. If you function over, under an idea that God is out to get you, that God fundamentally at his core is miserable, if God is the God Allah, who is capricious and unpredictable, what will your life look like? What will your, not just your worship in Sundays or services, what will your worship look like when you go to work tomorrow? What is, the, what is it that will get you out of your anxiety and get you out of bed in the morning? It's a world of difference if you're thinking God is waiting to get you as opposed to what God is willing to gift you. Got it? And Genesis 1 is saying God gets the first statement about who he is. Do you hate being misrepresented? A lot of times when you're talking to people about their faith, you're saying, man, if that was my God, I wouldn't believe in him either. I don't believe in that kind of God. That's why the gospel is the great corrective. You want to answer the question to people what God is like, go to the cross. He's a servant God who dies to save undeserving people, and he and he forgives over and over. I mean, we, the fundamental argument is God's not the God you imagine him to be. He's the God he says he is. So that's what Tozer is saying, and then C.S. Lewis disagrees with him. So here's the C.S. Lewis quote. I read in a periodical the other day that the fundamental thing is how we think of God. By God himself, it's not. That's a strong opinion. How God thinks of us is not only more important, but infinitely more important. So this is going to spin your mind a little bit. 
But he says, indeed, how we think of him is of no importance except insofar as it's related to how he thinks of us. So can I say they're both right? I'm not trying to be political, but what he's actually saying here is true. You understand, if you have a vision of God, but God doesn't have a vision for you, you're in big trouble. And if God is not for, see, this is one of the verses that echoes. You need to believe what God believes towards us because of who God is in Jesus Christ. That's what's being said there. So, you know what's really important to me? I read it in the scriptures just yesterday. I was reading through Matt Mark's gospel, and a voice came down from heaven and said to Jesus, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And I believe the Holy Spirit said to me as I was reading, you were in Jesus Christ. God says the same thing about you. Imagine getting up on a Saturday morning with all the baggage of your sin from the previous day and getting up in the morning and believing the word of God that God says in Jesus Christ, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. How is that possible? It is possible because I loved you before the foundation of the world and I sent my son to save you. What God thinks of you is more important than what you think of you. And who God is is more important than what people imagine God to be. So let me just give you quickly three things from Genesis 1 about God that you need to know. Number one, God is incredibly, infinitely, and extravagant, absolutely and extravagantly what? Good. He's extravagantly good. Genesis 1 is not meant to leave you questioning if God's a little bit good. Genesis 1 is to say to you, the stars are staggeringly declaring that God is good. That's why we read Psalm 19. You want to know how to interpret Genesis 1? Read Psalm 19. Read passages of Scripture where the psalmists sing about Genesis 1. So want to go to Psalm 19 with me? It's already been read this morning, but let me echo it back to you. Psalm chapter 19, the heavens declare what? The glory of God. The sky above proclaims His handiwork. So the other day, Diego and I took his camera out because they live kind of in the sticks in the city up in the hill in Tegucigalpa. So we took his camera out, put it on the back of his pickup, and we put the lens out uh, as far as we could. And we set the aperture setting the way we wanted to it and the ISO really high, and when we put a timer on it so we wouldn't touch it and jiggle it, and we clicked it, and then we put the timer, and we waited, and the shutter stayed open, and then we pulled it back. Man, you just look in the night sky, and you see there's a lot of stars. You open the shutter, and you go, wow, and we're just getting a little glimpse of the heavens declaring the glory of God. You ever been in the boundary waters? You ever seen the northern lights? You ever seen the sunset over water? over ice, coming across the mountains. You ever seen it? What do you do? You go, if this is made by our God, and this is a foretaste of what he has in plan for his people, you are to begin every day of your mission. You are to answer the doubt of the call of God to leave everything and cleave to him and follow him. You are to answer it with one fundamental question. How good is God? What's the answer to that question? Staggeringly, absolutely, indescribably good. Everything around 
in creation redounds to that end. God is extravagantly good. I could go farther. I'll stop. Two, God is infinitely and gloriously powerful. He just says, what? Let there be light. And there's light. It's so. He says, let's just, let's just make fish. Let's just make bluebirds on Waterbrook's property for Dibley to look out the window and be distracted by when he's preparing a sermon. <laughs> just because I can, because I delight to, because I'm glorious. Let me take 200 million stars, 200 billion stars, and put them into 200 billion galaxies by the word of my mouth so there'll be any question to anybody that I just have to blow, I just have to say, I just have to go, let there be light, and there is light, or Lazarus come forth, and Lazarus comes forth. Oh, my dear friends, when you're thinking about impossible things that you're called to do, to sit in a circle of chairs in a community where no one is sober enough to believe they need salvation, to sit there and think something is going to happen for us, to go into the nations, what will send you into darkness, into long periods of godlessness? What will enable you to go? This, all he has to do is say, let there be not a little bit. I'm sorry, friends. God is not about little flickers. God will bring the nations to their knees. It won't be Iran or Donald Trump. It will be Jesus Christ. Order out of chaos, light out of darkness, life out of death. He does it all. Jesus said, with man it's impossible, but with God is all, all things are possible. Also, in this text, God is stunningly kind and intentional. At the end of Genesis chapter 1, he brings man in and lifts up man in his image to be sub-kings, sub-regents, sub-governors under him. You understand what God does at the end of Genesis 1? He takes you and I, human beings, and he says, now you will reign on my behalf. We need to hear that because people think that religion is meant to oppress you. It's the opposite. It's so that you aren't oppressed by the glories of creation. Right? Do you understand what's going on? The world is worshiping the created things. And the moment you start wanting more money, more land, more piece of the pie of the created realm, those things will reign over you. But once you know that God is your chief possession, then all these things will come under you and will be useful to the end for which God purposed it. God intends to keep you from slavery to idols and to exalt you as reigning children of God. God has come to set you free. That's the answer of Scripture. To free you from the things that own you. To free you from the things that you believe that will save you and satisfy you. To comfort 
and to rescue you. Things do not save you. Your Savior has come. Your God has come to deliver you. So let me give you this well-known quote from Piper. Passion for God is weak. Zeal for missions will be weak. Churches that are not centered on the exaltation of the majesty and beauty of God will scarcely kindle a fervent desire to declare his glory among the nations. Missions exist because worship doesn't. And when worship exists, missions does. Let me tell you the great things my God can do and has done for you. Does that make sense? That's where Genesis begins. It begins with a glorious God worthy to be trusted. God says, I'm about to do something. Can you trust me to go? Second thing in Genesis, the importance of the word of God. All those things we just said about God are true about his word. Creation story in Genesis 1 is to teach us that God does his work by his word. This is great news to you and I. Because when we think about how we're going to change the world, what am I going to say? It's not what I'm going to say that matters. It's what he is going to say or what he has said in the gospel that is going to change the world. God says, let there be light and there is light. So creation story, Genesis 1, is written in such a way, and you'll see this as you make your way through Genesis, every time God speaks, we're to trust him. Every time we go off the rails, we didn't listen to what God clearly said. Can we say that about our lives? Isn't that true? And the Word of God has the power to transform us. So let me tell you about Genesis 1. Let me walk through. Well, let me, let me give you this quote. You have that quote there, Doug, from uh, uh, Ezekiel chapter 37. I love this scene. I mean, there's so many great texts. But God comes to the prophet, the son of man, the prophet, and he says to him, takes him to a valley of dry bones, and he says to them, can these dry bones live? Now, these dry bones are your family that are unbelievers, your co-workers that are hostile to the gospel, right? And he just poses a question to you. Can these dry bones live, right? He takes them out to a valley where soldiers have been slaughtered. The sun has been beating on them. All there are is left the remains of a war. And he says, the hand of the Lord was upon me. He brought me out into the spirit, in the spirit of the Lord, set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were what? Really dry. You see, God's a master illustrator. He didn't just say, oh, these guys have been sort of dead for a half an hour. These guys have no sign of life, no tissue on their bones. They're dead, 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 dead. And he said to me, son of man, can these dry bones live? And he said, oh, Lord God, you know. And then he said what? Preach the word in season and out of season. Prophesy over these bones and say to them, Dry bones, dry bones, dry bones, oh, sorry. Um, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. And Ezekiel connected them. Dry bones and Ezekiel. Do you know that song? Anybody know that? I just, I'm, I have little happy moments in my head where I go off and sing, so you just get to be annoyed. <laughs> That's what happened. E- Ezekiel did not connect the dry bones. God connected the dry bones. Marianne and I had our first Christmas without any family. We invited friends over who do not know the Lord. 
We prayed at our island before they came, and then we watched God connect the dry bones. It was stunningly beautiful. We did nothing except walk with God and watch the Word do His work. Wasn't it amazing? We just sat there. When it was over, at the end of the day, we went. We just saw God show up in a situation that was seemingly impossible. You know it when you've done it. It is not you. It is God coming and bringing life where there is death. How? By the Word of God. So let me tell you things about the Word of God. This is crucial. When you hear the Word of God every day, when you seek the Word of God every day, what do you need to believe about the Word of God? You want to go to the next one here, Doug? The Word of God, just like God is, absolutely and extravagantly good. Back to Psalm 19. What does David believe? What does he sing about? Where are my glasses? <laughs> Psalm 19. He talks about the heavens declaring the glory of God, and then he shifts gears. You realize he's working his way, reflecting on Genesis 1. The law of the Lord is what? Perfect. What does it do? Revives the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure. Doing what? Giving you eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that love and worship. They are much to be desired, verse 10. Then gold, even fine gold, and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, them, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them is great reward. The, what, what the psalmist is saying is when we've departed from the word of God, we've perished in the wilderness. When we return to the word of God, you have revived our souls. Isn't that true? So when God speaks, you think to yourself, is God trying to make me miserable? Or is God trying to rescue me from misery? Is God seeking to bring life? Or is God simply trying to make me kiss the heels of his feet as a subjugated servant? My dear friends, God only speaks to his, through his word to his people to give them life, to do us good. All Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, rebuking, correction, and training in righteousness so that the man of God might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Isn't that great? The Word of God is infinitely and gloriously good. It is also infinitely and gloriously powerful. You don't have to come up with clever slogans and sayings in order to convince anybody of anything. Tell them about the Lord and the good things He has done for you. It is the Word of God that is the power. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. The Bible echoes. God is good. God is powerful. God is kind in His intention towards humanity. The gospel is the same announcement. The Word of God is good and true. The Word of God is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Oh, you want to get down into somebody's heart, you can't do it with all your conniving and all your psychobabble. 
The only way to get there is to take the word of God. In the last century, there's a professor at Princeton University, Emile Callier. And Emile Callier was in the war, and during the war, when he was in the war, he was in the trenches of the war. And as he was sitting there watching the slaughter and the struggle amongst humanity, and he's thinking through all of that, he was thinking, what is this about? He was raised as a naturalist. He was an atheist. He wasn't a believer. And he started to think questions while he was in the war. What is life about? Why are we doing this? What's going on? And as he came through this kind of personal, psychological, inward struggle, he said to myself, I have not found anything, any book that's been able to speak the answer to me, to tell me the story of me, why I am, who I am. And so what he began to do is he got a leather-bound book, and, and uh, Professor Caillé began to write down everything he read. Any book he got, he would read things that seemed to show light and enlightenment about who he was. And uh, he did this for a long period of time. Finally, the day came where he finished the final touches on his leather journal, where he had taken all these quotes from all the books and all the people he had heard and put them together. And he went and sat down, I think he sat under a tree, and he opened up the book and he began to read his way through the book. You know what happened to him as he read his way through? He was reading it through and he fell into despair. All the philosophies and ideas and best thoughts only showed him the journey of the struggle that he had to find out what life was about and meaning. It brought him to no conclusion. The day that Emile Callier was sitting there with his final book, the very day, his wife was down at the center of town, and she went by a Huguenot church that's over in Europe, and she was going by, and something told her inwardly to go inside a Huguenot church and ask somebody there for a Bible. So she does it. And the minister there gives her a Bible. So she comes back. Her husband is in despair over everything. He's wasted his time trying to figure out over the last couple of years. And she says to him, I got to tell you, you're probably not going to like this, but I felt like I needed to go get a Bible. She didn't know he was keeping the journal. She didn't even know about the journal. So she comes and says to him, I stopped and got a Bible today. He goes, you have a Bible? And, and this is how he describes it. He said, I took the Bible and I happened to go to the Sermon on the Mount. And I began to read for the first time a book that knew me. And as he read the Word of God and heard of the mission of God and the subject of who God was and the person of Jesus Christ, he said, I went from hopelessness to hope, from despair to life and light. His, his, his book, his testimony is called Journey into Light. The lights came on because God was the light. That's the word of God. It is the power of God to do in hearts with the best minds and all their energies cannot arrive at no matter how many heads we put together. That's what the word of God is. Powerful, it's good, and it's what? kind. Isn't the Word of God kind? Now you stop and say it's not kind. It, it's kind because the whole panoply of Scripture is meant to cause you to what? Come to me. Believe in me and you shall be saved. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he lives, though he dies, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
No one comes to the Father. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe it also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. You understand what the Word of God does? It resounds with the call of God to come and be healed, to come and be restored, come to be forgiven, come to let go and let God take charge. That's the foundational thing. Let me come to the end of this text and say this to you. You've been set up. Do you understand? God is saying to you, what are you going to do? What are you going to do with 2020? Are you just going to try to survive? Are you going to try to find your artificial means of alleviating your anxiety? What are you going to do? God's saying, no, 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 no. You see, I'm doing something very good that will not fail. And what do we say? Well, see, my problem, God, isn't with what you're doing. My problem is with what I'm doing. It's not the darkness out there that I fear. It's what? The darkness in here. I feel like I am my own worst enemy. I feel that I will not persevere. I feel that I cannot endure. I feel that I lack the strength. Guess what? The Bible has an answer to what's wrong with you and what's wrong with me and what we fear most, which is ourselves. You know the answer is? God is good, right? God is powerful. God is kind. The Word is good. The Word is powerful. The Word is kind. Then the Bible says, guess what? God is Jesus Christ. The Word is Jesus Christ. This is not a vague God, and this is not a vague word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. When he said, let there be light, he was Jesus. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Colossians, as Andy has taught at length, Colossians is Christ announcing. My dear friends, when we go into the world, we do not go out in the world to speak our own words, to speak in our own voice. We go out and speak, and Christ speaks. And Christ speaks not only to the world, but in the gospel, he speaks to me. And so let me, let me just say this. Let me go to the, the, this next thing. I got a quote here. How am I going to respond to this great, call of God. What if God comes to me like Abraham and says, leave everything and go? What if God does that? What if God comes to me like Paul on the road to Damascus or in the voice of Jesus and says, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me? What if God says that? I'm not sure I can do this. That's not your issue. It, how do I, what if God says, take your son up onto the mountain and sacrifice him? You remember Abraham got called to that? God asked crazy things of his people, it seems, to us. The answer to us is simply this, that what God does is say to us, the way you respond to me when I speak to you is not to wait for those big moments when I speak to you uniquely. I will speak to you every day. And every day receive the gospel every day, hear and heed my voice. Learn the rhythm 
of responding to God's word as the way of your life. Every one of us, when we pick up our Bible, every day, every time you read the Bible, God is saying this, trust me, follow me, serve me. And the answer for all of us is, well, how can I do that? How will I do that? How can I? And the answer is, have I not given you my own son? Romans 8, 32, if God did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how will he not along with him freely give us all things? I memorized that as a teenager. As God was beginning to call me and I was terrified of myself. God did not spare his own son, but he delivered them up, him up for you. If he gave Jesus to save you, will he not give you everything in Jesus in order to follow him? Is that not good news? So that's what C.S. Lewis, in his letters to Malcolm, he wrote, he says, relying on God has to begin all over again every day as if you've never done it before. Right? Isn't that the way of life? Faith is a daily way of life. Now, I've got a whole lot of stuff on here, but let me just stop and put it this way. And, I, and some of you may have the sheets there. I want you to pray through if you've got one of those sheets. Where do you already know that God is speaking to you. See, for most of you sitting here today, some of you, God may be calling you to a nation. But some of you, it might be just your neighbor. And some of you, it might be just going home to your marriage. Or some of you, it might be in the quietness of your aloneness, and your isolation at work. Right? You understand what I'm saying here? That God is speaking to us to come and trust and follow him where he has placed us. Some will be senders, some will get sent. But let's go, to, let's go to Psalm 19 and end there as the interpretive thing. What do I do when I fear that I am my own saboteur in this mission of God? Why does the psalmist go, the heavens declare the glory of God? The word of God is glorious and sweeter and more powerful and good. What is, where does he go at the end of Psalm 19? Verse 12, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, what? My rock and my redeemer. What do you do in your weakness and brokenness? You come to God and you say, I can't save myself. I can't heal myself. I can't fix myself. I can't even figure myself out. Anybody like that? Who can discern? How many times you wake up and you go, what in the world was going on in my head when that came out of my mouth? I'm a psychological mess. Okay, maybe I'm the only one that has that experience, but, right? You go, you go through that. And the answer to all these questions is one answer, one name. Jesus. He knows what's wrong. And who can lead me out of this? Jesus. The Son of God can deliver me. And who can take me and make me an instrument in the lives of other people, in the brokenness of my family, in the aloneness of my work, in the isolation of my culture? Who can take me and make a difference and, and deal with me? I'm the problem. I'm, no, no, you're not a problem. 
You're a problem only if Jesus doesn't exist. Jesus is all of those things we said earlier. He is absolutely and extravagantly good. Jesus is infinitely and gloriously powerful. He just has to say, Lazarus, come forth, and Lazarus, come forth. Jesus is stunningly kind. He's also king. That's a typo. But he's stunningly kind and intentional. You need to hear not your voice, not your unbelief, not your struggle. You need to hear Jesus say, come to me. Those of you who are weary and heavy laden, come to me and you will find rest for your soul. Come and learn from me. Take my yoke upon you and you will find rest for your soul. Isn't that the greatest news? It's his mission. You are his mission. And he's inviting you to join him in his. Will you receive that call today? Will you receive that call this morning? If you want prayer for that, write it down. If you need to talk to somebody, write it down, get it to us. Reach out, talk to someone. Maybe you need to own something you already know he's saying to you. You don't have to save yourself. He is your rock, and he is your redeemer. It's great news, isn't it? I want you to pray with me, and then um, we're going to pause because we're going to do something important this morning. But let's just pray together. <clears throat> so, Heavenly Father, as we begin with Genesis 1 and the explosion of glorious truth, about who you are and what your purpose is and that this is your world and you are about to make all things new in Christ. We bow and worship because you are good, very good. And you are powerful, you just say it, and it was so. And you made us to be your image bearers not to be enslaved, but to be lifted up as sons and daughters of the King. Thank you. Help us. Set us not only free, but set us on mission. Build your church. Let the nations be glad and rejoice in you. Take us into darkness and bring light. Take us into chaos and bring order. Bring us into the nothingness of spiritual truth and bring into existence things that have not yet existed in those lives and in those places. Do it, O oh God. Do it in us and do it through us to the praise of your name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to find out more about Waterbrook Christian Church located in Victoria, Minnesota, go to www.waterbrook.church. Have a blessed day.